0: Nathan, where are you going to hang that poster? You're going to hang it somewhere. Let's jump right into it. Uh, Job may be the oldest book in the whole Bible. Some people say it was written as far as 1400 B.C., uh, if Moses wrote it. Uh, Some people say maybe it was like 900. Solomon might have written it. We don't exactly know who wrote Job, but it is a book of poetry. And last week we learned about books of poetry. So Job is written for a purpose, and the main theme throughout the book of Job is suffering. And I think we can all relate to that. Suffering is a relevant topic that draws us into this uh, book through this real person, Job, who had this unimaginable uh, tragedies, one after the other. Uh, verses 1 through 5, we learned this about Job. I never, You know, when you read the Bible, I keep hitting on things that, I thought I knew, but I, it never jumped out. Job was rich. He had sheep. He had camels. He had yoke of oxen. He had donkeys, many servants. I, I never realized how good of a parent he was. Did you catch that? Job was really a good dad. How do you know he's a good dad? Like this could be a sermon about Job being a good father because I never caught the part about him giving sacrifice burnt offering to God. Just in the case that his children might have committed sin or cursed God. And that's a dad who cares about their standing with God. And so Job was a godly parent. He was a good man. And God says, look at this guy. There is no one like him in all the earth. So the book of Acts, it's, you could boil it down to these four. It's the conversation with God and Satan. It's a conversation between uh, Job And his friends and his wife. Then it's Job complaining to God. And the last is God's answer to Job. And throughout these four sections, you can get a grasp of how do we endure suffering? What is suffering? And in 25 minutes, I'm not going to give us a satisfactory sermon based on Job of all there is to know about suffering. But I think we do get a glimpse that could give us a grounding. With a God. So we learn much about suffering through this, and jumping right into it, God says, Look at Job. He is my man. He is fantastic. And Satan comes in, and what does Satan say? In essence, Satan says this Yeah, that's because you've given him a good life. You take that all away, and he'll curse you to your face. That's the conversation. Satan believes that a lot of people that love God only love God because of what God does for him. Now, I'm not advocating for Satan. This is, that's really weird. But there is truth in that human nature, isn't there? Do, the test is, does Job love you, God, because of you? Or does Job love you because of the good life you've given him? that's a challenge and it comes from satan but it's a way to for us examine do i really love god for what he does or do i love god for who he is Um, some of you have may have met people i used to be a christian but god didn't answer my prayer for a husband or career I, i can't follow god anymore it's pointless what are they saying i was never really a christian i was in it because God and I had a deal. I do this for you. You do this for me. Now, is that love? See how long your marriage lasts. If you say, hey, honey, uh, you do this for me, I do this for you, then, then we'll love each other. But if you fail, I'm not going to love you anymore. Like, that's a relationship, but not marriage. Marriage is unconditional. I'm covenanting to you. Conversely, some of us may say, I follow God because of all the great things he's done for me. He is so good. Glory be to God. He has given me so much. But the test would be, what if the world came crashing down? What if that NFL contract broke because you had an unforeseen injury? What if, what if the school that you wanted to get in didn't work out? What if the, the dream relationship with that girlfriend you had, who thought you thought was going to be your wife, didn't work out? Where would God be there? And so Satan's goal here is to prove to God simply, people only love you because you're good to them. And God says, let's give it a go. Satan's own words, take away all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And to our surprise, the modern mind will think this, right? This is why this text is so hard. God doesn't go, I will not dare do such thing to Job. Instead of that, God says in verse 12, this is a New Living Translation, all right, you may test him. <laughs> which, which 2024 people are cringing, going, what? My God, why would you allow that? The Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. Now, that's powerful. Two things are happening there. Satan cannot touch anybody unless he has god's permission this is the power of god and god is not in cahoots with satan he is going to take this and show satan i'm going to show you the greatest defeat and i'm going to let you run this course but it'll be your end because i want to show you a greater end but the second thing is god's also limiting his ability to harm now It's so difficult to reconcile this, but perhaps what we're getting from here is that whenever we have suffering, God is not absent from that moment. It is unbearable. Some of it is incomprehensible. But there is something bigger than us where God has allowed suffering to occur. He didn't create the suffering. He didn't cause it. But what we see here is God is sovereign even in the midst of suffering suffering so we first learn that satan is actually not as powerful as god so that's reassuring but we also know have to remember god is powerful and good and so what is god's agenda and god's agenda is this i'm going to show you what true love is i'm going to show you that satan your thoughts are going to deceive you you will fail so chapter one Satan goes out, we didn't read this today, verse 13 to 19. Five things happened to Job. First, his animals and servants were all struck down by sword from these foreigners. Second, fire comes down and burns up all the sheep along with their servants. Third, the camels were all struck down. One by one, do you read it? All of that Job has is gone. Fourth, a great wind came and a house crashed upon his children, killing all ten of them. And then later on in chapter 3... Uh, Satan's allowed to bring suffering on Job himself by God's permission, and then later on, Job has boils. I Googled boils. There's actually a medical terminology, but it was so graphic, I didn't want to bring it here. Um, It might be helpful, but some things are not as helpful as I think so. I took the discretion of you could Google it yourself. But the description is it's not just bumps. It is painful sores all over your body. Now, I'm a baby. When I get a canker sore, I, I'm miserable. I'm just imagining after losing everything he has in his livestock and children to be covered with boils. And when suffering comes, this is the next lesson we learn about it. Job has no clue what's going on in the cosmic realm. Almost every time I suffered and we got, I got out of it, it made sense as to what that suffering led to, but I never ever get an answer of why is suffering happen. Do you notice? There are 42 chapters of Job. If you read it through, Job is never told why this suffering occurred to his life. God never says, Job, sit down. I need to apologize. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. Satan came up to me and he tested me and said, You only love me for I did, so I. Let him do that to you. I'm so sorry, but but I love you. Like n- there's nothing like that. Job is never told of his suffering. And so when we say when we suffer, the number one question we probably ask is, why? But that's the last answer we'll get in this lifetime. We may never get it. And so Job is teaching us when you suffer, your job is not to figure out why. Your job is to persevere steadfast in God. Which leads us to when somebody's suffering, do this. Sit them down and give them a three-hour lecture on why they should not grumble. Write that down. When somebody's suffering, invite them to your house and preach to them for about two hours of why you should not. Like, thank you for laughing. Those of you who didn't laugh, do not write that down. What do you do when somebody's suffering? You shut up. You give meals. You sit next to them. You cry with them. In fact, uh, Michelle's best friend, her mom discovered that she had ALS a year and a half ago. This past week, they sent a video to all the friends praying for her, and that was her final moment. My mom wanted to give you a send a final message. And the next day, she passed away like our age, and the family says, please just give us space. Intense suffering. No answer why a woman in the middle of her prime would die. Last thing we want to do is say, hey, I want to talk to you. There was no answer for suffering, but what we do is just diminish your presence, as they say, is sit with them, cry with them, grieve with them, be with them. Don't explain things away. So you have three friends from Job. That's a book of this. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And this is their conclusion. Job, come here. We know why you're suffering. You do? Job, we've realized your reason for suffering is pretty simple and clear. It is? Tell me, what is it? And their answer in this book of chapters is, we concluded your suffering is caused By a hidden sin you're not repenting of. Job, come on, let it out. So, let me give you some more specifics. Eliphaz says in Job 4 Think now, think. Who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Bildad says in Job 8 See, God will not reject a blameless person, nor take the hand of evildoers. So far, Job 11 says, "If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. do not let wickedness reside in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and you will not fear your life will be brighter than the noonday." What is their conclusion? Good people do not suffer. Bad people, will suffer there's a term for that in modern world i hear it all the time what do we call that karma right good things come around and go but the reason why karma doesn't work is that's not the way the universe who polices karma by the way who checks the record like billy did good good's coming your way oh i forgot pia So this mentality we have is this works righteousness. Good people will live well. Bad people deserve judgment. But here's the problem. You got Job, who was good. You got Michelle's best friend's mom, who was good. None of them are sinless. None of them are perfect. But why does tragedy happen? We don't know. And so as Malcolm Muggeridge, he he writes this. If you look at Calvary, three people were crucified on the cross, and suffering. A penitent thief, an unrepentant thief, and the sinless son of God. They're all suffering. Suffering is indiscriminate. So if you ever try to live good life so that you could avoid suffering, I'm not trying to be a downer, but that's not the way the life goes. In our church, some of you who are new, I have to tell you, one of the biggest reasons why i love the community at cpclm is we have so many parents many of them passed away now went to be with the lord that have lost children in this community good people who've lost children unexpected ways there's a there's a high proportion of us in this church for some reason why did that happen we don't know were they all wicked well in the sense holy god we're all wicked but not more wicked than others and so this thought that we have is in 21st century Uh, oh, it's going to come around and get you but what we see in job is the point of job is good people are suffering why and jesus uh disciples also had the same idea um they were saying in john 9 as they were walking along they saw a man blind from birth and what do the disciples ask jesus master who sinned his parents or him Did you catch that? He must be blind because there's sin in his family. Something's there. Now, I do believe in generational sin. I do believe in, like, if you live foolish lives, you will bring suffering. But the point here is it's not simplistic as that. So by the end of Job 42, God comes out at the last chapter, and guess what he says to his friends? Who are well-meaning, who are well-intended, who said, Job, repent, and it'll be over. You probably have some sin. And God says this to all three of them. My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And so they make, God makes them get an offering, and actually Job forgives them by doing that. So suffering is indiscriminate. Next thing we learn about suffering is that suffering is not useless. I'm going to go out on a limb. Well, I'll say this of myself. Almost every one of my experiences with suffering has led me to grow. I cannot grow without suffering. Suffering pulls us into the grace of God. That is one of the Satan's unexpected byproducts. He does not realize, for godly people, suffering makes us stronger. Um, Do you know that when the bone breaks and it fuses together, you know what the strongest part of the bone is? Where it broke. It will never break in the place that it was healed. What a great metaphor. That when our lives are broken and crushed and God can get us through the suffering, it actually makes us stronger. Think about friendships. Who are your best friends? I bet you had big fights with them and you figured out how to reconcile those are my best friends we had fights what is god showing us suffering leads us to recognize grace Uh, job makes these two statements here and i want to go a little deeper into this job 121 he says naked i came from my mother's womb naked i shall return the lord gave can you say the lord gave and the lord has taken away He's passive. The Lord is active. He's the subject. The Lord is doing this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What is Job saying here? In my life, everything I have is by God's grace. And if it's gone, God has taken it away. And he says this, blessed be the name of the Lord. What is he saying? This is grace. Grace is I don't deserve anything, and if I have anything that I need, it's from God. So when God takes it away, it's still God who is my treasure. That is the grace. Tim Keller makes this profound, awesome insight. His sermon is 100 times better, and I was just learning so much from his exposition of Job, and he says this, what happens in suffering? There's a loss. Now, in that loss, if it crushes you, If your world collapses, it shows you that the object you lost was your true God. But if it crushes you, but you can still say, blessed be the name of the Lord, you understand grace. That God is God. Amen. Wow, that was so powerful to me. So we don't worship God because life is good. And we don't worship God. We don't not worship God when life turns bad. It's when God gives and God takes away, blessed be your name. This is life of grace. Only gracious people could do that. C.S. Lewis says something to the extent of, you know, suffering happens to all people. And he's like, if it happens to the believer, good. We're the only ones who can handle it. Why? Because by nature, we are people of grace. You did not attain righteousness with God by your works, but God has given us this grace. And so the next lesson, Job, I, wanna, I think we need to learn in suffering is, it is okay to complain. Can you just say that? I, I, this is so corny, and I know people hate when pastors say this, but turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay to complain to God. Say, it's, just, it's okay to complain to God. Complaining to God is not sin. You know what Job is teaching us? Complaining to God is not sin. Then what is it? Complaining to God is prayer, because you're talking to God. Some of us are like, "Oh, I can't, I can't complain to God. I can't." If you look at Psalms, what is it? Like, a lot of it's complaining to God. Job complains to God this way: "I cursed the day I was born." Wow. God's like, "Keep on going. See where that goes." No, that doesn't do that. Make this day gloomy because there's nothing good. And this is what Job says I don't have any peace. This trouble seems like it never ends. God, what is he doing? Because he's directing it at God. It's a prayer. If it's leading him away from God, now he's lost. But when we could cry in anguish and scream at God, that's okay. Because you're staying in that relationship. I don't understand and it's hard. Why, God? Complaining. Job is teaching us in this book. If you never prayed this kind of prayer, you're missing out. This is the type of prayer that gets us closer to God. It makes us say, I can't do this on my own. My dependence is on you. And so we go to the end. God comes not in this whirlwind. He comes in this whisper and God's revelation to Job. And God says, are you done? Let me talk now. Woo-hoo-hoo. And so God does something that normally, um, like, people who lost control and are enraged do. <laughs> not that I know. But he goes on this barrage of 77 questions at Job. Just one after the other. Who made the stars? Who gives the eagle his wings? Who gives this animal power? Like he just goes on and on and on. One of the questions is Where were you when I made the world? Can you number the clouds? Do you rule the animals? It's almost like God's being sarcastic, but he's. Do you know everything there is to know? Wow. I, I think I need to hear that because let me confess my sins. Do i act like i know everything sometimes i do maybe to my wife or my kids and then like god is saying i'm god you're not do you know everything there is to know and the answer is no god you are god every question points to three themes god is saying i am the creator of the universe i am the one in control of the universe And I am the only one who understands the universe. What are you? And Job immediately is humbled. I am not God. Job repents. Job is broken. Verse 40. Verse 4. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. What a great answer now you finish complaining god has responded still your mouth and job's humble response sheds light to this understanding that suffering in light of god makes sense so he repents and job says you can do all things god and no power in the universe can stop you i will stop talking and start listening i have heard about you but now i have heard from you You have opened my eyes. I finally see that I wasn't seeing right. In other words, you're God and I am not. And Job's greatest blessing in the suffering was God himself. And so this is probably why Christians are given these verses like, be joyful always, pray at all times, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? This is God's will for you. So as we wrap this down, Job's pointing us to this big picture that the ultimate innocent person It's not Job. But Job is pointing us, God is pointing you and me today to suffer well, but in our suffering to be reminded of the one who was perfectly innocent throughout all of eternity and he endured the greatest suffering. His name is Jesus Christ. That Jesus' suffering wasn't just an aimless act of God being mean to Jesus, his only son. But as the innocent was led to slaughter, like a sheep led to slaughter, the people were going, how can God let the Messiah die? But in that suffering, what is God teaching us? Satan is not winning. There is a bigger purpose. Jesus took the suffering and brought beauty into this world. Now, this is encouraging for us. You know why? You may be going through suffering, and you have no clue. But if God is powerful, God is good, and no suffering can touch you unless God knows about it, God is working to bring beauty in the only way he understands through your suffering. And so we say, God, I am small, but I have no choice but to trust you. Just a quick application. If you're suffering, hold fast to God. You are never alone if you are covered with Christ. Hold fast to God because there's a purpose that we will never know. And that's not a flippant answer. It is simply, I may never understand why this is happening. But I'm going to bless his holy name. Because he can do whatever he wants with my life. He is God. I'm not entitled to a comfortable life. I'm not, God doesn't owe me anything, but if God is good, I'm going to give it all to God. But third, it does this. We need to look around and see those who are suffering. And we need to pray for them. We need to plead with them. We need to point them to the hope and the promise of living hope that has ca- them throughout the suffering. Tim Keller ends with this unknowingly beautiful, profound thing that I wish I wish like we could have the wisdom and he says this, when we suffer through that suffering, we become more like Jesus. Let suffering transform you, let suffering point you to God, and no matter what happens, b- let us sing, blessed be your name, amen? Would you join me in a time of prayer together? In that final three uh, points, you may be going through some incredible suffering if not hallelujah but you may know people who are suffering and we know that as we look at the news that this world is filled with suffering whether it's ukraine whether it's gaza and israel whether it's it's just land struck struck with drought or famine disease dictators lawlessness they're suffering And so you can start with yourself and say, God, I am suffering. Thank you for being my God. But we can't end there. If we're the church, we're pleading with God for the world, Lord, we may not understand, but help us to engage by at least praying, recognizing and seeing there is suffering, that only the gospel of Jesus Christ has an answer for, that only the living God has an answer for, and only the living God has the power to control. And so we yield to you. So would you join me in praying? Would you pray for maybe your neighbor? Would you pray for your family? Would you pray for the, those who are just battling internal demons of depression? Those who are wrestling with loneliness and, and the geopolitical suffering? And say, God... In all these things, may we go before you. You are not only God, you are good. And in you, all things will work together for those who love him and be called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Jesus, we are declaring you are truly our living hope. You are the perfect Job who passed your test, never sinning, bearing the blunt of the cross and the nails, to die when you had everything and you surrendered it all. God, in that regard, there is no way we could ever comprehend your suffering so that we may be delivered from our bondage. But God, we're not praying just to believe in you one time, but we are saying, God, we want to fix our eyes on you for the day-to-day, for the life that we live, for the suffering we see all around us. And that not only would you give us strength and faith to persevere, but to be equipped so that we could engage in the suffering around us as your kingdom. That we would be your salt and light and be the ministers of peace and grace of kindness of service out of that and we do this because you have already won we do this because you are the victor and god we walk in your step as your children as we become like christ going through our own suffering so lord may you receive all the glory and blessing in our We thank you for your truth. Seal it in us. Open our eyes, open our hearts and our ears. Lord, have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray.